Hi, and welcome to the Oil and Gas Accounting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tom Weyerman, Executive Director of COPUS, the Council of Petroleum Accountant Societies. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Sherwood, owner and founder of Sherware, that provides software for oil and gas operators and accountants. If you're a CPA, an accountant, a bookkeeper, an office manager, or if you're an oil and gas operator doing your own accounting, this podcast is for you. We're here talking with the experts in their respective accounting areas to keep you up to speed on the latest accounting news, rules, and data. There is so much happening in the world today, especially in oil and gas, that affects the accounting function of a business. Our job on this podcast is to keep you up to date and help you see more, know more, and do more as an accounting professional in our field. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Oil & Gas Accounting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tom Weyerman. This episode today is being recorded as part of our virtual happy hour at the Fall Copus meeting. We've not recorded a podcast in this manner before, but we welcome many of the virtual attendees we have with us today. And also a special welcome to our my co-host, rather, Phil Sherwood. Hey, Tom. It's good to be with you again. And this is really fun. Yeah, we've never done this before. It's really fun to see our listeners as we do the podcast. And it means that we really can't mess up. You know, podcasts are heavily edited. (laughs) And so we do heavily edit this podcast because we get tickled and we get to laughing and we just got to cut a lot of stuff out. So maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Tom's going to blame it all on me. But uh, no, no, no. Yeah. So I'd I'd like to welcome our live audience and thanks for showing up for the Sherware Virtual Happy Hour. Uh, Just to let our listening audience know, the folks that are listening to this later, what's going on is we're recording this podcast during the end of the second day of the Copas Fall meeting. And uh, Sherware has provided $25 vouchers for everybody who signs up, well, to the first 50 that signed up. And we had 50 people sign up. Actually, we had 62 people sign up. So we went a little over the 50 and we were happy to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So we're happy you guys are all here. So we gave the $25 for you to purchase drinks or your happy hour snacks. So you can sit back and drink and listen and post some questions. Hopefully, I'm sure the questions will get quite funny if you drink a lot. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but as we get started here, since everybody's here at a happy hour and we should all have drinks, I'd like you to raise your glass because I'd like to propose a toast. This is to Copus and its 60 years, its 60th anniversary. May it continue to be a place of learning and fellowship and guidance for the oil and gas industry for the next 60 years. Here, here. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So our topic today is the AFE. That's short for authorization for expenditure. or Some people say authority for expenditure. So and I want to welcome to our subject matter experts. We're doing something new here, too. We have a panel of experts on the topic. So our experts are Tom Batchy, Assistant Controller at Talus Energy. we got Jeff Wright. He's the owner and founder of 4A Energy Advisors. And Dallin Error, President, Petroleum Controller Services. Welcome, gentlemen. We're glad to have you here. Thank hey, you thanks. very much. Glad to be here. Good to be here. You know, we've not done a podcast episode in this format before, but just as a reminder to everyone listening uh, or participating in this virtual happy hour, please use the chat box to submit your questions. I see that's starting to get active a little bit. 
So, you know, if you do have a question to the panel, please put that out there and we'll do our best to include those in the episode. Okay, authority for expenditure. Uh, Dallin, let me pick on you. Let's start. Most of us have heard the term before, but what is it that we're talking about? Can you give us the dumbed down version? Uh, well, that's probably the only version I know, Phil. So <laughs> we'll give that a try. Yeah, essentially, essentially what it is, is a, a document that is prepared by the operator and the operator is usually operational personnel in conjunction with accounting and land and everything else. And it breaks down uh, the anticipated and expected expenditures that are going to be associated with particular project, most commonly a capital project. Uh, This is then sent out to the different participants in the joint venture, uh, as well as internally in the company itself to make a determination of whether or not all the costs are acceptable, whether they they are reasonable, and whether they are representative of what to expect. It's kind of a, a budget bucket. You can also think of it as a measuring stick, a way to make sure that you are operating within your plan. So in other words, it's a tool that tells us when and where costs are going to be spent on a specific project. Yeah, I think so. And, and it's a good one as well, because for, from the, the standpoint of people who count beans, which is what hopefully most of us here tonight do, being able to have something that you can account against is a very helpful tool. So yeah, it's absolutely a measuring stick in a way that we can keep track of where we are. All right. I like that definition. So let me pick on Tom B, Tom Batchy here for a minute. What authority does this tool really grant? Does it mean that everything included on the AFE is chargeable to the joint account? No, no, it, it doesn't really mean that at all. It's, it's really just an agreement from the operator and the non-operators for agreement to participate in the project. It's, it, it lays out the specific line items that are, that are part of the project. And it's, it's not an agreement to deviate from, from the, the language of your, your accounting procedure and your joint operating agreement. It's a, an agreement to participate in the project. Uh, for example, you can have on the, uh, the AFE, you, you might specify engineering costs. Well, in your, your accounting procedure and your operating agreement, engineering costs might be billable from uh, third-party costs. They may be billable, but your operator costs for engineering costs may not be. So there, you get some, uh, some different interpretation uh, depending on who incurs those costs. Okay, so is, is the JOA, the Joint Operating Agreement, is that the Bible as far as how these get charged out? Yeah, between your, your JOA and your counting procedure. Yeah, okay. What do you think, Jeff? So one of the things that Tom just talked about, is, it's absolutely correct. And so from a contract compliance standpoint, from a joint venture auditor standpoint, the approval by a party of an AFE is the approval of the project. And it's not necessarily the approval, well, it's not the approval of the chargeability of all the components of that project. And so from an audit standpoint, that's one of the things that that we will certainly want to look at is that just because an AFE has been approved by a non-operator doesn't mean everything is chargeable. Now, we'll talk a little bit 
probably down the line. There's some other ways around that. Uh, but just to start off with, that's the biggest thing for us. What about the requirement of an AFE? Is one really required? What parameters dictate when one is used? Is it based on a dollar amount threshold? Is it an operating agreement requirement, project size, internal company policy? What, what, what drives that? Hey, Jeff, why don't you start with that? So it's a little bit of the above, but primarily there is a threshold, and primary, and that threshold is going to be found under the drilling and development part of the joint operating agreement. It's going to talk about the requirement for an AFE. Of course, it's also going to talk about non-consenting and some other things. But then there's also going to be a other types of operations that are not drilling and completion. And there's going to be, a, it's a fill-in-the-blank threshold in the joint operating agreement. And that is what's going to require an AFE. You talked about internal company policy. There's also times when there may be internal AFEs that are not required, but, but as far as the relationship between the parties, all of that's going to be covered under a required AFE in the JOA. Kind of what's been the low end of a requirement? I mean, if you, you, you talked about it being in the JOA, what kind of the lowest number have you ever seen? And I, and I imagine the number on the other end is kind of infinite, but 100,000, oh, larger think, than that? I mean, certainly Tom and Dallin can talk about this too, but I think some of the older agreements, remember, yeah. Tom, we're looking at some really old agreements out there still. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I've so seen you it may see, 25. 25 is say, as low as I've seen. Yeah. 25 is about where I have about the lowest that I remember seeing. Yeah. I guess a note to self, check the, uh, check the joint operating agreement and see what that language says. I will say, Tom, though, that was, I think, a peso agreement on the accounting. Oh, so, back in the so it's not really our problem anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So for a lower cost like that, would that be like a workover or something like that they're doing? Potentially. Yeah. Or, or, it, or again, it, it's if $25,000 was a whole lot more money 30 years ago than it oh, is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, can an AFE be overspent? It, you talked about it being a bucket of costs, you know, for a capital project. Can it be overspent? What if it is? And if it's an estimate, how do you correct that or do you? Well, there's certainly a lot in there. I mean, you know, most projects, uh, let's face it, most projects today, overspending is a reality. I mean, you know, AFEs are estimates. And uh, I think engineers, even though most AFEs have contingencies in them, the reality is it's pretty common that uh, AFEs do get overspent. It's fairly uncommon that uh, you come in underestimate, uh, unfortunately. So, uh, um it's, it's pretty pretty common, especially uh, if you have a complicated project that you're going to come in with something goes on with your project and you're going to come in overspent. Okay. So what happens when you overspend? Does the project stop? Do the partners not owe more than their share because that's what they signed off on? Um, well, how's it work? It, it, it uh, generally, you go back to your guiding documents, your JOA, your accounting procedure about what the obligations of your operator are. And, and generally, the, the language is going to specify what the, the requirements are with regards to uh, issuing supplements, 
ideally your your operator is going to be in contact with your non-operators talking about what's going on with the project uh, if there's there's issues going on the the non-operators are hopefully going to know about it so that uh, they're they're up to speed so that uh, you know hopefully everybody's on the same page understanding what the status of the project is then they can talk about it, be up to date. And then uh, again, the, the JOA is going to spell out what the requirements are from uh, issuing the supplements. So, and, and, and again, those, those certain JOAs are going, some require, they specify dollar amounts. Some have dollar amounts and percentage amounts. So some are combined. So one of the things I'll say too, as a joint venture auditor, as a contract compliance guy is that as Tom said, a lot of times AFEs get overspent and it's extremely common for me to get calls from people, from, from clients who want an audit done because the nasty operator spent way more money than they were supposed to that I, then I granted them uh, authority to spend. And it's, it becomes very difficult for, for me and Dallin will, I think, agree with this. Because just because a AFE got overspent doesn't mean that the costs weren't billable to the joint account and weren't proper. You know, something could have gone wrong. And, and, and what you hope in a situation like that is that as a non-operator, you're getting daily reports, morning reports from the operator. And, and you're kind of seeing that uh, we had some pipe stuck in the hole or or we had some other problems, but that doesn't happen. And so what, what it becomes is that when the audit concludes and we don't find as much as we, as they thought we were going to find, they're no longer irritated at the operator. They're become irritated at us for not finding what has to be out. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you've hit on that hundred uh, percent, you know, kind of a, kind of a quick and funny story to that effect. I actually get nervous every time I get the sort of call that Jeff's describing. Somebody, a client will call me up and they'll say, oh man, have we got an audit for you? This this thing had a $20 million budget and they spent 38 and we're convinced that they have overspent everything and it's a big mess. In one of those cases, what actually happened was, unfortunately, there was a, there was a fishing job. They did overspend and they, they did not perfectly follow the supplemental uh, and the costs kind of went over what was expected. But ultimately, yeah, like Jeff said, they were, they were bad costs, but they were good costs. And just like Jeff mentions, uh, we went back to the, the client and explained that situation and, and told them, come to find out their operations folks were fully aware. It just hadn't reached the accounting people. The, the records had gotten there. The daily drilling reports were there. They knew what was going on. But unfortunately, us poor bean counters are always the last to learn any of that. And so they just made a judgment based on the dollars. And even though ultimately that was a miscommunication between the client's personnel, we kind of got the stink eye for it, for not finding that money. So sometimes that's challenging. And, and they don't want to hear that necessarily. Never. That's a, that's, yeah. that's a tough and nor message. do they want my bill afterwards. <laughs> and, and, no, and no offense to, to us, I'd rather they be mad at the auditors than to me as the accounting guy from the other side. <laughs> that's part of what you pay for, Tom. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You've got yep. this tension between the operators and you know the audit people coming in. 
just from experience, how often do you find like fraud or somebody trying to push something over? Is it usually just communication errors or something? Yeah, like fraud is almost never. I mean, and, and I've been doing this now for since 1997. And with regard to that period of time, I have never found active fraud in any audits I have done. I've done some vendor audits where there was some fraud going on, but they were unrelated to those types of audits. It's miscommunication, it's misunderstanding, it's, but that's the way we've always done it. Those are the most common mistakes you find. And then human error. People make mistakes. Yeah, 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 exactly. People make mistakes. So folks like Jeff and I have a job. It's, it's that simple. (laughs) The human, those are the fun ones to find. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's take this a little bit further. So the budget bucket is overflowed. The contingency line in the AFE was nowhere close to being enough. And and again, I'm the non-operator, and I haven't been pay, paying attention rather to the morning drilling reports or any of the AFE project spending reports that are coming through. I'm mad, and I want remedy. What do I do? Where do I go? Well, uh, again, it's it's going to be hard to argue that you don't that you, you're not aware. The, the morning reports have a pretty wide distribution to the operator personnel and to the, to the non-operators. Now, ultimately, if you're, you're really mad and you don't want to continue the op, the, to participate, you could refuse and uh, go into a non-consent situation, you know, become a payout situation. That's kind of a nuclear option, though, isn't it? Well, it it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, it it absolutely can be, Tom. And and you know, Jeff and I both have jobs because of situations like that as well, occasionally. Um, it, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly rare, um, but but we do see it. And in fact, I think I've done a few audits for Tom at another company that were based in that very situation. So. But but again, it goes back to the whole concept that, uh, generally speaking, it's rare that the non-operators are not aware of the situation of a project being overspent. Or at least, Tom, they sh- they. I think the right term would be they should be aware. Right. Correct. They got all the tools. Yes. One of my favorite roles when I was in the exploration company at a company I worked for previously, I sat in the in the hallway between the two vice presidents. They each had corner offices and they uh, they didn't believe in picking up the handset. They talked to the speaker phone and it was like in stereo, but boy, that's the best place to get your news and your information. It was just like a gossip line. Uh, they, they told everything and then I was all over it. So that was fun. Cool. You were the net of that tennis game. <laughs> I was. I yeah, was. <laughs> Being a software guy, I, I can attest that there are non-consents going on because the software has to account for them and we get calls for support on how do I set this up? So, yeah, that's interesting. So you would typically think of AFEs as being only external, you know, to the non-ops at all. Is there ever a situation where you might do an internal IFE? And oh, how, ab- how might that be raised? Absolutely. I mean, they, they happen all the time. As uh, Jeff mentioned earlier, there, there are limits in the uh, agreements that specify when you have to issue AFEs. But, but ultimately, if you don't have to issue the AFE, they still are part of a budgeting process if you're the operator. 
There's, there's also the, the process uh, in your accounting system where for certain account codes that your system may be set up that uh, an AFE number is required. So you may not have an option of, of processing activity without the AFE. So you may have to have the AFE. The, the use of the AFE becomes you know, critical in that, that standpoint. Ultimately, it's it's very useful from an internal standpoint. It's it's a valuable tool. I don't know, you know, how how you get around it. Yeah, you need that yardstick internally and externally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, it's as I think a little bit about it, Tom. Too. I I just think back to the days when we used to do uh, when I was in the industry and in that role. We used to do internal AFEs to see if we were getting better in our projects. So we we actually had very large projects sometimes, and we would use those to kind of see whether we were getting better on, on either our cement jobs or our completions or, or whatever it happened to be. So, I mean, I, I would think that would be a situation too. Well, you, you can absolutely do that. I mean, you can, especially if you have multiple projects of the same type in an area, for example, you, you can see your, uh, I know that uh, when, when we had projects, when, uh, you know, we, we had the, when I was onshore, and uh, we we had multiple projects of the same type. We can we could measure them together against each other and and compare and get some efficiency gains. And and uh, mm-hmm. you know you could you could compare and, and contrast and and then engineers could see what worked, what didn't, and and it, it there were tools. Good point. Well, from an audit perspective, and this is really directed at our two auditors here tonight, Jeff and Alan, but. How, how would an internal AFE be a useful tool in your world? Oh, Jeff, you I, want to take it first? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think probably, Tom, you know, can help us as we're prepping. Uh, if we are able to look at the AFEs, the internal AFEs, it might be something uh, that we want to focus on a little bit more. It might help during the course of an audit. We see what that AFE is. We know what sort of cost to expect. Uh, you know, it could even help in a situation where if there's a threshold there, let's say at that low threshold we talked about, 25000 they have an internal AFE. Well, that starts to creep up and exceeds that 25000 Then we might have a little bit of an issue there to talk with our client about. The project right. didn't get afe Absolutely. I, I think for me as well, maybe for, for Jeff as well, but I think for me and, and the, the, the folks who work for me, it's a rough draft roadmap, I guess is the best way to put it. It helps us to define, like Jeff said, in advance, what we're going to be looking at. What was the plan here? What was expected? And while ultimately, you know, we, we spent a lot of time joking about how, how, you know, ultimately the AFE might not matter as to whether or not something's a good charge or not. The other side to it is you got to have a starting place. And from an audit perspective, we, we look at the activity reports in advance to kind of develop a summary of what happened on the well, but the AFE is almost as important as that because it helps us know not only what happened, but where the money was supposed to be spent. So it's a good tool for focusing your audit. You just can't audit and assume that it's the be all end all. Good. Thank you. Yeah. So you guys have just been in COPUS meetings all day. And we talked about COPUS being around 60 years. Are there any COPUS documents that would come into play? Maybe an AG24? That's a good one. Talk about what documents you could use here. So we we talked a little bit, and I mentioned earlier that we 
maybe touch on this, but again, approval of an AFV by the parties is an approval of the project, and it's not approval of the chargeability of the components. So we understood in Copus a while back that that was a problem because people, one side thought one thing and, and, and another side thought the other. So as, as proactive as we are in this organization, we came up with Accounting Guideline 24, which is the notification, I got to read this because I don't remember it, notification of non-operators or accounting procedure deviations. And it covers exactly what we've been talking about, what Tom and what Dallin both talked about, where uh, there's offsite technical labor that's in an AFE, but we have an agreement that precludes offsite technical labor as a direct charge to the joint account. So we have a letter that we could send out that accompanies our AFE. I got to, again, I got to look. Disclosure of the project, estimate of the cost, a brief description of those costs, the services, the justification for the deviation, the scope of it. And so what it basically does is, is it gives the operator another opportunity to be able to charge those costs. Now, as a non-operator, we can still approve the project and disapprove the deviation letter. And at that point, then as an operator, I got to figure out, can I still do this project if I'm going to have to eat a lot of these costs? That's that's absolutely correct, uh, Jeff. And, and yeah, what Jeff was alluding to was a misunderstanding about by signing the AFE, you've essentially agreed to the costs. So at this point, you have an agreement. Well, you don't. Just like the operator is not obligated to spend the exact amounts noted bucket by bucket in the AFE in those amounts, and if they overspend, the, the people should expect that money back. The, the other side to that is that the non-operator is not agreeing dollar for dollar to everything precisely as it appears. Now, if you go by AG24, like Jeff was saying there at the end, you can absolutely use the AFE as a tool to inform your, your parties, your partners, that you want to be able to charge things that it would not normally allow as a deviation. But like, uh, like Jeff was saying, you have to give a pretty, pretty cogent and specific explanation for why you want to do that. What, what makes that acceptable? You can't use weasel words, as one of our members is, is calm of saying. Or, or is fond of saying, uh, you have to make sure that everybody knows upfront what they're getting into. And one of the ways to do that is by separately requesting that approval, even on the AFE. So maybe there's the one line, like Jeff was saying, where they approve the AFE and an entire separate line where they approve the deviation. You can agree to the deviation without specifically agreeing, or excuse me, you can agree to the AFE without specifically agreeing to the requested deviation. So we've got two auditors here and you guys have talked about, you know, getting called in. When does it usually get called in? Is it before the project starts and they've just, they're questioning these expenses or is it after things have been spent and that triggers an audit? Talk a little yeah. bit about my favorite audit joke, Phil, is uh, that auditors are the soldiers who go after, go in after the battle's been lost already and then bayonet the wounded. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Dallin, mine is always, we live two years in the past. Yeah, that's, because that's, that's the nicer am. version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We usually go in after the fact. I have done non- accounting procedure audits where, where they are construction based and you're looking at, at 
uh, project payments and tiers and other things like that. And maybe that is done both in advance and then during, and then even on a look back basis. But the kind of audits we're talking about are pretty much always after the fact, at least that's my experience, Jeff. All right, Tom, have we had any questions submitted by the- Actually, audience? we do. We, we have a couple of questions here and, and a comment. I'll start with a comment first, and this is from Deanna. And she was just saying, as we, was, we were talking about it, uh, using supplementals and that sort of thing is also good internal control. So wanted to make sure that we, we got that out there. So the first question came from Dan, and that was, when is the best time to generate a supplemental AFE? I would uh, say that, uh, in my opinion, that the best time to generate the supplement is is realistically when you have a good idea of, of where the costs are going. If you don't necessarily want the accountants telling the engineers, hey, you need a supplement, because that's, that's like closing the barn door after all the cows and horses are out. <laughs> yeah, you, you, agree, you, you need the engineers to be on top of the situation and they need to understand their agreements and, and they need to be the ones generating these supplements when they're clearing their margins and they and basically re-estimating their projects to understand where their costs are going because, you know, they came up with the estimate in the first place. And then when they see that they're going over, they need to understand and put forth a revised estimate and understand where they're going. And if it, if it then ends up exceeding that estimate and they have to put forth a second supplement, then so be it. So ideally, it's when you first determine that you're going to go over, then you put forth that supplement. Yeah. You know, we like to think that we've got great relationships with our coworkers at our companies. I mean, one of the, actually I had a stint in Canada for about five years. And one of the best things that I did when I got there was establish a relationship with the production manager. I didn't understand heavy oil. It was so much different than conventional oil that I was used to in the States. And she taught me so much. And, but she was also the first in my office to ask questions and things. And, you know, our accounting reports and things got better because she asked great questions. And, you know, we, it's all about relationships again, you know, and that's, and again, that's one of the things in Copus that we, that we like to, to tout is that, that relationship aspect of things and networking. So I would encourage everyone, if they're not doing that to, to go down the hall and have a Absolutely. casual conversation with your personnel, your, your engineers and your operations people and things and, and um, make sure that you get included in the loop on some of those things. I think that's helpful. Another question, can the panelists share their thoughts on this? Generally speaking, how often does a company perform an internal budget AFE versus actuals? And is that result typically shared with the non-operator owner, non-op owners rather, for the same field, say, pad drilling? Thank you, Roger, for that question. That's a good question. In my experience, it literally just depends on the company and, and what their internal policy is with regard to tracking their costs. Uh, as to whether or not it it is generated internally, I, I can't say that there that I've seen a particular standard. Smaller companies are generally going to have smaller numbers, and bigger companies are going to have bigger ones that they worry about. That said, with regard to the second question, is it generally shared? In my experience, it is not generally shared freely, but it is not uncommon for a non-operator when they receive a jib to see a reference to an AFE that they don't recognize. And in that case, they might make a phone call or send an email and say, hey, what is this? We don't have this AFE in our system. Can you explain it? And uh, most of the time, I think that, that 
the operators are willing to at least explain it and occasionally even send them a copy of it while while telling them, look, this isn't anything that's associated with the JOA. This is for our tracking. Tom, is that what you And that's, that's exactly what I was going to touch on where, where Dallin was going there. You know, I touched on this when I was talking about accounting systems that require the AFE numbers. If, if your accounting system is that way, you're already including that AFE number when you're processing that activity and it's going to a joint account then you're, you're including that AFE number when you're submitting a, a joint interest bill to somebody. And most likely you're going to get a question as to what that AFE is. And so you're going to get that question, of, like, like Dallin's saying, what, what is that AFE? I know that we have, uh, as an operator, have received those questions and have provided those uh, internal AFE numbers, to, copies of those AFEs to partners. And similarly, when we have received bills from others about with uh, internal AFEs, we have called and requested copies of those AFEs so that we understand it, so that we can set it up internally. Because again, our system requires that number. So we have to set up an AFE to be able to process those non-op chips. Good, Good point. Good point. Anything else anybody wants to add to that question before we move to the next comment? Okay, Deanna, thank you again for submitting a comment. We encourage clients to perform desk audits when jibs are coming in to identify and consider asking the question before it's too late. And I think that's a good practice as well. And, and again, I mean, Phil, I'm going to kind of come to you for a second because you're the software guy in the room. I assume your systems and things do a pretty good job of, of that. And I would assume some other systems that are um, along the line of what you do. Can you talk about that maybe for just a second? Yeah, we have some of the systems in place, uh, like you guys were talking about, you know, some codes you cannot enter unless you have an AFE number to go with it. Uh, Just to double check to make sure that uh, the things that you have on your AFE that you're able to track to, you know, the costs for that AFE are actually tracked to the actuals for that. So, you know, just some checks and balances, uh, things in there like that we have in the software. Very good. Dan added an additional comment for us to to, uh, consider too. We do AFE to actuals for every well as an internal control. Again, here's that term, internal control, but generally only share it with non-ops if they ask for it. So what's what's everybody's thinking about, you know, if they ask, they can get it. If not, I mean, what, what's a better practice or a good practice or however you want to say that? I don't think there's really any contractual requirement for them to, to share that with you. I mean, obviously... Our job, Dallin, and my job is is kind of to to go in and do that same thing through a course of an audit. I think it really boils down to the relationship that the non-operator has with their operators, and and if they want to share it, they can, but they don't have to. And and I would also throw out there, they're actually getting that information by way of the the bills if the operator is providing the information on the joint interest bill. I see some of our participants uh, nodding their heads in agreement with that. So Dan, thank you for submitting that comment and thank you guys for your follow-up on that as well. I don't see anything else in the, in the chat box that we want to bring up tonight. So I think there's one more question for Patricia. Yeah. She says, understanding that AFEs are for capital cost. Has anyone run into request for AFEs on LOE for wells? Oh, that's, I'll just say that we have uh, AFE types of all, all nature, you know, certainly the capital side, but 
workovers, uh, hurricane costs are obviously a big one right now. And, uh, you know, we're yeah. primarily offshore and we've got a lot of hurricane repairs going on. Uh, so certainly uh, major maintenance uh, expense type projects are pretty common as well. So, I mean, absolutely, there are expense type projects that carry AFEs. And I think if you look, guys, and I'm reading this directly out, of this is the 89, uh, operators shall not undertake any single project reasonably estimated to require an expenditure in excess of blank dollars to be filled in. It doesn't say, is it a capital project? It doesn't say, is it a, an expense project? It's any single project. Yeah, that's great, Jeff. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of, of expensed workovers that easily meet the JOA threshold. So yeah, we do see that quite a bit. And another good point to ensure that you've got a copy of the JOA along with the accounting procedure in your files in the accounting department. Don't just rely on your Exhibit C or whatever the exhibit gets labeled in that case as being part of the JOA. So good comment. And Patricia, I apologize for missing your question. It, you, it came in just as I kind of turned away from that screen. And so my apologies, but thank you for, for submitting that. And thank you guys for your response. That's why we tag team. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But this has been great information today, gentlemen. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like AFEs mainly are a great communication tool uh, between non-ops and even internally within the company to communicate what's going on with the project. Tom B., would you like to recap some of the key points and sort of bring it home for us? Sure, sure. So just remember, uh, primarily the AFE is a cost estimate. Uh, it's not a contract. It does not supersede your JOA. It, it is a cost estimate. It is a tool to inform others, it, it, generally with the partners, but also an internal tool. Uh, it, is, it provides information on the scope of the project, the estimated cost, timing, some uh, specifics about what the project is. Uh, there's, again, uh, a bigger opportunity with regards to information ab internally about uh, tracking patterns, improving efficiencies. It's not, it's not, it's more than just tracking what buckets the costs are going in, but obviously that's a, an important element of it. Uh, so I think that's that kind of covers the bulk of it. That sums it up in a nutshell. Yeah, pretty good. good. Well, we hope everyone has enjoyed this episode of the Oil and Gas Accounting Podcast. Yeah, and remember, listeners can suggest topics like this for the podcast. And even you guys that are here live with us, if you want to, you got a topic on the top of your head, you want to post it in the chat, be sure to do that before you leave today, because uh, that's how we get such good panelists like we had today. Thank you guys so much, uh, Tom and Dallin and Jeff. We really appreciate you guys coming on and uh, sharing your expertise in this area. Thanks for yes, and we thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, and we also greatly appreciate you, our listener, for tuning into the Oil and Gas Accounting Podcast. Please leave us a review and, and please tell your friends, tell them what, have, what a good time we have and how much fun we have on this episode. That's it for this episode. So stay tuned for the next one. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. If you're an oil and gas operator who wants to simplify and automate the way you handle distributions, joint interest billings, and you use QuickBooks, you'll want to see a free demo of our software at Sureware. Our software was designed to simplify the distribution and accounting processes for operators by integrating directly with your QuickBooks company. On average, we save our users more than 10 hours each week and $40,000 a year in payroll costs. 
by automating the distribution process from start to finish. All you have to do is go to sureware.com backslash demo right now and book a free walkthrough of the software to see if we can help speed up your distributions. That's all for this week's episode. We are so glad you're a loyal listener and spreading the news about the podcast. Make sure you listen, subscribe, and leave us a review.